Good morning. We're so glad you're with us today. Uh, it is uh, Sunday morning here at Placerville Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Sean, the associate pastor here, and we're going to look at the Word of the Lord today, and we're excited about it. I'm excited to see where God takes us and, and how He opens up the Word to us. But before we do get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your love and Your grace. We thank you that you came as your, as Jesus Christ and you died on the cross and, and you save us from our sins. Father, if there is anything that is within us that might be between you and us right now, Father, please forgive us and remove it, we pray. Lord, as we look at your word, may you open our hearts and our minds to what your voice wants to tell us. May the Holy Spirit speak to us, I pray. Lord, and may I be a vessel for you. Lord, I pray that you take my feeble words and that you fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. Make them your words, not my words, Lord, as you enlighten us, as you open up the word to us today. We trust you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be in the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to be in the fifth chapter of that book today. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to begin to open up to that place. Uh, get your tablet out or your iPhone or whatever device or, or physical copy of the Bible you have and get ready for that. One of my favorite theologians, his name is N.T. Wright. He is an Anglican theologian, actually, out of England. He he tells a story of a very famous comedian that he that he read about. Uh, he read the story about this comedian who could fill auditoriums. People would pay loads of money to come and to see him and to listen to him and to allow him to fill their lives with laughter. But in this, but in the story about his life, it it comes out that no matter, even though he is so successful. His past is very broken. He comes from a relationship with his father that is totally estranged. They, they don't talk to each other at all. And it had been that way for most of this comedian's adult life. Uh, something had happened and the relationship had been broken and they never mended it before he died. It also was talked about in this story that that same pattern was repeated with the comedian and his son, where there was an estrangement, a brokenness of a relationship where they, again, had not spoken for many, many years and had not reconciled before the comedian died. I tell you this story because broken relationships are, are real for all of us. We all endure broken relationships, whether we have a broken relationship ourselves with somebody in our lives. Maybe it's a family member like the comedian story, or maybe it's just a very close friend. Broken relationships are, are part of reality. Imagine, and, and some of you don't have to imagine because you've lived it. Imagine having somebody, like a blood relative, this comedian and his father, blood relative, no farther away than just a phone call. Yet, because of the broken relationship, there was, there was, they never reached out. They never made that connection. And in the passage we're going to read today, 
we're going to see how that kind of a broken relationship that those two men had is a microcosm or, a, or an example of the broken relationship we as humanity have with God the Father. And the, the lengths and the, and the extremeness of what God was willing to do to mend that relationship so that there was no longer that tension and that, that unforgiveness or, or whatever, whatever that feeling is that's there that keeps the two parties from coming together. So we're going to look in Romans 5. We're going to read the first eight verses of this passage. So if you'll follow along with me, in Romans 5, verse 1 is where we'll start. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. One would would dare... Let's got a little confused there. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord. Okay. Romans is written by Paul, the apostle. Paul is known for going all over the Mediterranean world and he starts churches. He's the, the primary missionary for the, for the early church. And he's writing to the Romans here. This is the church in the city of Rome. And this is one of the few churches that Paul did not start. So he's writing to some members of a church that he has never had contact with. The Roman church is often believed to have started from the Pentecost moment. The thing that we talked about a couple weeks ago where the Holy Spirit came upon the the disciples in the upper room and, and what happens after that moment is Peter goes outside of that room and he gives a beautiful, just beautiful sermon about the reality of human nature, the reality of our need for a a savior, the reality of the brokenness of our relationship and how the Messiah is needed to come and to save us and that that Messiah is Jesus Christ and that his death on the cross and his resurrection is the thing that we needed to be saved and that through our faith in him, we can have new life. Beautiful sermon. It's in, in Acts 2. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. Um, he's probably, it's probably one of the most successful sermons. Billy Graham probably did better, but I mean, 3,000 people were converted because of this sermon. I sadly cannot say that I have had a sermon like that, that I'm aware of, but 
I'm still young. It might happen. Okay, so Peter tells this, this story. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And the, the thing is, is that the group of people who are there are from all over the known world. Okay, so that's all of the Roman Empire, basically. The, the people who were Jews or were followers of God or what they were often referred to as friends of God, they came to, to Jerusalem for the Passover and they stayed through the Pentecost. The Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. It's not a Christian holiday. It, it just became a Christian holiday because that's when the Holy Spirit arrived. But the Jewish culture was to celebrate the Pentecost, which was that 50-day mark following the Passover. So this huge group of people from all over the known world are still in Jerusalem. That's who Peter preaches to, and then they all go home to wherever they're from. And what is believed is that there were Romans there, and they heard this. They came to faith. They went back home to Rome, and they began what they thought they needed to begin, which was a church. Now, the Roman church developed un kind of guided. There was very little guidance to them. They sort of were being led by the Holy Spirit. And But we often sometimes can hear the Holy Spirit, but interpret it the way we think the Holy Spirit. And that I heard you, Holy Spirit, but I think this is really what you meant. That's probably what happened in Rome, because a lot of their beliefs sort of made their way in. And so the letter of Romans is Paul trying to sort of correct and try to guide this church more into what Christ actually is desiring of them. The book of Romans is one of the, I almost said the best book in the Bible. I don't, they're all amazing now. I don't want to say that it's the best, but it is one of the most powerful books in the Bible because Paul is laying out a systematic theology of, of who Christ is, why we need Christ, our desperate need to save of a Savior because of a brokenness in relationship with God the Father. Okay, so we're in chapter 5. That means Paul has already written um, four chapters leading up to this, and he's setting an amazing foundation. And if you read the first chapter of Rome, Romans, I'm not, we're not going to read it today, it lays out the fact that because of our sin, we are blind to the truth of who God is. We see the world around us and we see it from a, um, a kind of basically a shaded view. We see our, it from our view, not from what God designed it to be. And it's because of that we turn to idolatry. We worship ourselves. We, we choose to do what we want to do. We, we, reject the truth of God. And because of that rejection, we are now in a broken relationship. And Paul talks about how that broken relationship will lead to true destruction. It'll lead us to a place of eternal destruction. And that the only way, the only way to avoid that destruction is through our faith in Christ Jesus. So he talks about faith. He talks about Abraham's faith. Abraham is the, is the man who's credited for his faith. It says that Abraham is righteous because of his faith in God. Okay, That's way before Jesus even shows up. Abraham is considered righteous or in right standing because of his faith. 
and that it's through his right standing that he's saved. It's not because he does the right things. It's because of his, his trust and his dependence on God. And that is what, this is a big word, justifies him. It's a big word. It basically means to make right or to correct. And so the reason that it's important to understand these big words is because the, Paul's still using them in chapter 5. He says, therefore, since we have been justified or have been made right or have been brought into rightness by our faith, okay? Read Romans 4 where he talks about Adam or he talks about Abraham being justified by faith, okay? Because we've been justified, justified by faith, we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Peace is an important, an important, important thing. Because peace is not easily attained. I often used to think that I had peace in my life when I was younger. And it, and it was because I, I often didn't worry about stuff. I didn't think about, like, concern myself with things. So I, I had this sense of peace about me. And I realized as I got older that really, it, it was actually more apathy than peace. It was this, this almost lack of caring about whatever the issue was or whatever the, the hurt was. I just didn't allow it to bother me. I didn't allow it. I didn't allow myself to care. And I gave myself a false sense of peace. I gave myself a false sense of security. And, and I've, I've grown and I've matured as I've grown and I've realized that that is true and that I've, and I'm now working constantly to recenter myself on God's peace, which is what the Bible calls a peace that goes beyond understanding. Meaning that no, that in a situation where you should have no peace, you'll have peace. And it's because our peace is founded in our faith, not in whatever is happening around us. And we're going to unfold that idea more as we go into this. Okay? Through Christ, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace. Now, this grace that Paul is talking about here is forgiveness. It's, it's the, the bringing into a right relationship. So imagine the relationship between the comedian and his father. It's an estranged relationship. It's broken. They're not talking. If one reached out to the other one, most likely that person would just ignore them or blow up on them, really, and not want to talk to them. And it's only through grace and forgiveness can the two parts come back together to be in a right relationship or make it, the word righteousness comes from that, to be brought into rightness again. So through Christ and our faith in Him, we have been given grace. We've been given, we've been brought into a state of being that is grace or a state of forgiveness or reconciliation bring, being brought back together. And we can now stand in that. And because we can stand in that, it is the foundation of that peace. When you have had a broken relationship with anyone, and, and there's a reconciliation with that friend or that relative, the sense of peace that comes following that moment is is just it's a it's an amazing experience. If you've never experienced that, 
um, you're missing out. <laughs> and if you have a broken relationship, I encourage you to, to reach out to those people and offer grace so that you can have that kind of an experience. Because that peace is, is this lack of tension, this lack of the underlying worry about what they think of you because it's all been placed out there and it's all been forgiven. And so now there's this freedom which brings that peace again, okay? And because we have both that freedom of grace and we have that peace, we now can have hope. And we can rejoice in what's called the hope of the glory of God, which means that basically we get to have the amazing ability to be in the presence of God. This is a concept that comes from the, the, the idea of a temple. When, um, when, when you go into a temple to come into the presence of the deity that's in the temple, you have to be in a good relationship standing with that deity. If you weren't, there would be fear of being struck down or, or being you know, killed or being rejected from whatever it is that you were, bring, you were coming to the deity about. When we stand in our state of grace, we no longer have to worry that when we come to God, He will reject us because He won't. He will stand there with open arms and accept us with His love and embrace us as His sons and daughters. Do you see where the peace is all coming from here? Because, I mean, without those things, there's that tension, that sort of like, I can't release the this buildup of stress because I don't know where I stand. But Paul is telling us that when you have faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about where you stand because you know you stand in the grace of God. And thus, you can be in the presence or what is called the hope of the glory of God. That means you can be in His glory without fear or intrepidation. Now, Paul transitions a little here in verse 3. That's a little odd. He then goes on to say, not only do we get to rejoice that we get to be in the presence of God, but now we get to rejoice in our sufferings. What, Paul? Why would I rejoice in suffering? Why would I want suffering? We've all suffered some way in our life. I know that, uh, that you have not lived a sufferless, is that the right word? A suffer-free life. Y- you know that suffering is not enjoyable. It is not something that you should feel excited about. But I think that, um, what Paul's trying to say here and, w- and what the, what the commentaries are, are talk about here is that it's not this like, um, you know, I'm happy, I'm excited feeling. It's not that kind of rejoicing. It's, it's a deeper feeling. It, it's, it's the word joy. The joy, and joy is not a, a, a circumstantial feeling. Uh, happiness is a circumstantial feeling. My, my circumstances or the surroundings of my life, they help make me feel happy or not. Joy is different. Joy is that thing that's deep down in our soul. It's the thing that comes really truly only from God. And when we have the joy of the Lord in our hearts, when we endure suffering, we can have peace. 
because we know that we're not alone in it. We know that the foundation we stand on is is not going to shift. We know that Christ is holding us stable. And Paul says the other reason we get to take joy or have peace in this is we know that through suffering, we we can produce endurance, which endurance just means you're able to go the distance, go longer. I am not a big fan of endurance. Um, I'm not a runner. Uh, and if you are a runner, you know endurance. Endurance is that, that feeling that I can run another mile even though I feel like I'm going to die. I'm not that person. I Nope, I don't even want to be that person. I was going to say I want to be that person, but I really don't. I should want to be. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and when we have endurance... It creates in us character. Character is an important thing. Um, And character can be good or bad. You can have bad character. um, And it's it's hard to break bad character sometimes. And often it really can only be done with God. Because bad character is just a habit of doing the wrong thing or, or... being dishonest or whatever, whatever characteristics, all those negative characteristics we think about in a person. That would be negative character, bad character. But the character that's produced with endurance is the character of God, the character to continue forward, to know that he is faithful. It's, it really truly is the ability to have joy and peace that goes beyond understanding. And when we have character, we're able, God's able to produce hope in us. And I love verse 5. It says, and hope does not put us to shame. I like to add in there, does not ever put us to shame. Because that hope is from the love of God. It's given to us through the Holy Spirit who was given to us as well. Okay, that's great, Pastor Sean. But but how do I how do I attain, attain that? Why do I have that peace? Or how can I get that peace? Or why do I know that it's true? He continues in verse 6, and he tells you why. He said that while you and I were still weak, not able to do anything on our own, at the exact moment that needed to happen, Jesus Christ came and he died for the ungodly. And that's all of us. We're all the ungodly. We all come to this life. We, we all are, are born with ungodliness in us. It's, it's that original sin, the selfishness to desire ourselves, our, our wants, our needs. It's this idea that we get to choose right and wrong. We become God in our mind. In the exact moment when we were our weakest, when, when God knew that this was the time it had to happen, Christ died on the cross for us. And he, he it's interesting, he, Paul tries to, um, I don't want to say justify, but he, he uh, kind of categorizes the, uh, that's not, qualifies, that's the word I was looking for. He qualifies Christ's death for us. He says, no one, scarcely anyone, would die just for a righteous person. So even if 
you were righteous, meaning you did the right thing all the time, exactly the way you were supposed to, very few people would die for you. Maybe some people would die for you if you were a good person, meaning that you had the right character or whatever it is. It says that, that there would be some people who would consider dying for you. But in verse 8, it says, but that wasn't any of us. <laughs> None of us were those people. We weren't the good person. We weren't the righteous person. It says, but God showed his love for, for us in that while we were sinners, we weren't righteous. We were not good people. We were one of the other translations that I really love, and I almost used it, it actually uses the word enemy. While we were his enemy, God died for us. So, in our story of the comedian and his father, if one of them had come to the other to try to reconcile the relationship, they would have had to to ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness, however it worked, in order for the other party to potentially come into that relationship again. Okay? Now take that again, and it's God and it's us. Okay? And here's the situation. It looks like this. It never, ever looked like this. Okay? And the comedian and his father, it looked like this. Neither of them wanted the relationship. Okay? In this relationship between God and us as humanity... It looks like this. God always was looking towards us, wanting to recon reconnect, re reconcile the relationship. But because of our sin, because of our, our, our idolatry that's talked about in Romans 1, we could not reconcile. Something had to happen in order for that reconciliation to come back together. And what had to happen was that God had to do something huge and that's to die on the cross. So that all of that sin that separated us could be paid for and forgiven. I like, I, I really like the analogy of um, uh, that it's a war, it's a, it's a battlefield, and that humanity is being held captive by their sin. And God is the hero who comes in and sacrifices himself so that we could be set free from the captivity. Okay? And, 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 and that's what happens. That's what happened is, is God died for us. And then he rose from the dead. And now he's saying, okay, I have, I'm forgiving all of your sin. And all you have to do is come back together with me and we'll be reconciled. And for those of us who do it, and the, and the way that that happens is us putting our faith in him, us trusting that what he says is true, us trusting that he has truly forgiven us, us trusting that if we believe in him, that there will be a stable foundation under us. And that from that, we are able to have peace. And we can live in a state of forgiveness and grace we don't have to fear that if we come into the presence of the Almighty God. See, now it's, it's important for us to understand that this is God. This isn't like me coming to you and trying to reconcile. This is the, the very maker of all things, of the world, of, of time, of matter, of everything. He is the, the everything. I mean, we sang about it today. 
that from the very beginning, he was God. And he sacrificed so that we can stand in a place of grace and be forgiven and we can live in the peace of the Father. We can have the hope that comes of that. And we, we, can, we can know that there will never be anything that will take that away from us. Uh, in the children's sermon today, I'm going to talk about the parable of the wise and the foolish builder. And I think that it's such a fitting parable of this idea. Because in the parable, there's the wise builder who puts his, um, builds his house on a rock, on a foundation. And then there's the foolish builder who wants to be beachside in the sand. Which The beachside sounds nice, but it's foolish. Because what happens is that this, basically this huge storm comes in, rain, and it makes the, the beach flood. And the, the house that stands on the rock, and in this story, that's Christ. It, the, the house that stands on that rock stays stable. It doesn't fall down. But the, the house that's built on the sand, it, it shifts. The foundation moves and the house falls down. Now, we live in a very, I'm going to say a very unstable time right now. We, I, I feel like the sands are shifting all around us. When you watch the news, when you hear the, if you read the newspaper, there's so much happening around us in the world, in our country, in our state, that, that just is constantly changing. It's constantly shifting. And if we, if we set ourselves up on the situations around us, if we allow the circumstances that encompass our lives, if we allow our feelings, even our feelings, because I'm going to tell you right now, your feelings are like shifting sand. They are completely based on your circumstances. If we, if we base all of our choices and our decision and our faith in all of these things around us, we're like the foolish builder. We, we don't have peace because we're constantly worried, is the corner of the house going to go out because of this situation over here? And, and we as Christians, we have this knowledge and, and we have the ability, and, and we all do, if we choose to have faith in Christ, we have the ability to build our lives on that foundation, that foundation of the knowledge that we live in the state of grace, this forgiveness. And because of that, there is complete peace that no matter what shifts around us, no matter how the world is, is changing and, and becoming different, and, and our, our lives are not going to fall apart because my faith isn't in how society is structured. My faith is in Christ, and He will not change. Now, I have, to, I have to say this part, though, that as Christians, we are called that when we stand on the solid rock, we have an obligation, an obligation to try to help bring the 
world around us into a stable place that is based on who Christ is. And we live in a, in a, in a culture right now, we live in a society that is in upheaval because the system has been broken for so long. And it is nothing like the way God would want it to be. And we have an obligation as Christians to speak truth of who God is. And God is a God of love. He is a God that died for you and me while we were his enemies. He died for all the different people out there who we might potentially think are enemies, that we might think are different than us. But the thing is, is that we as Christians are called to love them the way Christ loved them and to show them that love, and to show them the way that uh, the equality that comes with that love. And we, we are, we're called to be involved as much as we can. And for each of us, that looks differently. For some of us, it just means that we take a look at ourselves and make sure that we are living the way Christ would want us to live in this situation. For some of us, there's a possibility we can speak out to different people in our lives about it. For others, we have a a bigger voice. We have the ability to speak to larger groups of people. Like I said last week, we have the ability to to reach into into the people's lives that are making decisions for our country. You hear stories in the news about how um, people are constantly calling for justice, whether on social media or writing and, and, and calling their government officials, demanding justice. And we, as Christians, need to be part of that because that's who Christ was. If you don't believe me, read the Gospels because every single group of people that were oppressed, pushed down, rejected, Those were the people that he was constantly working with and loving and treating the way that any of us would want to be treated. And we as Christians have to be like Christ. I mean, that's what your name means. Christian means little Christ. It means you are like Christ. So, as unstable as things feel sometimes right now. We can have hope because we stand on the rock that is Christ. And while we stand on that rock, we have complete peace. It will surpass any circumstance you face. It'll it'll surpass any trial or suffering that you face. And that hope That hope is the hope that comes from the glory of God. And we can share that with the people around us. We can share that in our society. We can make our society look like the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do, actually. So let's do that. Let's try. Will you pray with me? Lord, give us your courage. Give us your words 
in a time where words can be so important right now. May we speak your love and your truth to the world around us, to our families, in our workplaces. Lord, I, I do pray for our society. Lord, I pray that your kingdom will become more evident in our society. As, as we are moving towards a, a, a society that is more just, that is more equal, that shows equality to all people, which is what you desire. Lord, help us to be a part of that. Help us to know the right moments to be involved and to speak up. Father, continue to transform our hearts. Father, continue to fill us with your peace. We thank you for the promise of it always being there. We thank you that it will lead to hope and that that hope will never, ever, ever shame us because it is a hope of something so much greater than what we could ever imagine. We love you. Lord, we pray for our next week. I pray that you will work in our people, that you'll bring health to those who are sick. I pray that you will continue to be with those who feel lonely. Father, I pray for those who are in need. May we be your hands and feet into each and every one of those situations. For everything we do, we want to be done in your will. And we want it to bring you glory. In your holy name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you joined us today. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.